0: Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. A lot of our members do so much good work in their communities that has nothing to do with their practice or their position in industry. They're just givers.
1: Well, that was just one of the insights our special guest for this week shares on Life in Accounting, the Rare Accounts Go podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting. This week's special guest was none other than Kathy Kapka. Kathy is a professor at the University of Texas at Tyler. However, she also serves in the highest level volunteer position that TSCPA has, the statewide chair position. I really appreciate Kathy sharing her time with us. Being chair of TSCPA requires quite a bit of travel, quite a bit of administrative responsibility, and obviously all the leadership responsibility that goes along with that as well. It's very difficult to schedule sometimes, and I really appreciate her taking the time to speak with us. In addition to talking about TSCPA and and getting her insight on the future of the profession, we also talked about her journey and, and sort of where she came from and how she ended up working in academia. I think you're really gonna appreciate this episode. Kathy is a very open and sharing and transparent individual. So without further ado, here we go.
0: I mean, thank
2: you so much for taking the time to schedule this. I know your schedule can get pretty busy these days. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thanks, Mark, for having me. It has been a wild ride this semester, but right now is a good time.
2: <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, right after the finals, I think, right?
0: Yes. Grades are in. Semester's put to
2: bed. Beautiful. Well, I've been wanting to invite you on the show for a while for several reasons. First of all, I, I like to have a mix of guests from different lines of work in the accounting profession, and I think it's really important that that includes academia. With you in particular, though, being that you've been so involved with TSCPA and, and obviously currently serve as chair, I really wanted to get your insight into the future of the profession so to speak. Your thoughts on that. Before we get okay. into that, though, I think it's important for the listeners to, to understand a little bit about who Kathy is. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and sort of how you got to where you are today.
0: Okay, well, I would like to say that where I got to today was a straight trajectory, but it was not. <laughs> I started out like most young graduates in public accounting, but this was public accounting back in the early 80s, 1981, to be exact, before there were computers on every desk. Before, we had one computer in the entire firm, and it was the largest firm in town at the time. And I worked tax season and, and audit, because that's what you did back then. And I loved the auditing. But I, I have to tell you, oil and gas partnerships without a computer were torture, I had to tape pages and pages of 13 column together and then foot and crossfit all that with a 10 key. And after about three tax seasons, realized that if I had to go through another one, I would probably, you know, go berserk. So I took a job in industry, which was very interesting. I was the first CPA they had ever hired. And it was a company that owned a lot of travel agencies across the United States and their home office was in Tyler So I got to do some travel and I got to also organize their accounting and that was fun. And the company sold the same week that I went on maternity leave and they wanted me to move to Fort Worth and I politely declined because I was not going to move with a brand new baby and stayed home with my son for a year and then... Because I really miss governmental. I, most of my audit experience were cities and counties and school districts. Our local school district was hiring their first ever CPA. So I applied for that job and got it and worked there for several years. And then UT Tyler was creating an internal audit department. So it was kind of like my dream job, auditing all the time in governmental accounting. So I applied and got that job which was to create an internal audit function for the university. UT System had mandated that every campus and every hospital, of which there are 15 total, have their own internal audit function. So that was great, and I loved doing that, and I built that function, and it was great work. And I did that for about 11 years. And during that time, I was interviewing staff and realized that everyone I was interviewing and hiring had their master's degree because of the 150-hour rule, which didn't exist when I took the exam. And it was kind of daunting to have staff that were more educated than you were. And the university had free tuition for employees, so I really didn't have a good excuse not to go back to school. So I went back to school and got my MBA from UT Tyler, which is, by the way, is where my BBA came from. And while I was doing the MBA, one of the accounting professors insisted that I continue and get all the accounting grad hours I could so that I'd be qualified to teach, should I ever want to, which at the time I didn't think I ever would. Well, as soon as I got my MBA, the dean asked me to teach auditing one class a semester because auditing professors are hard to find. So I agreed, and I did that for a couple of years. And he started asking me to come teach full-time. And of course, my knee-jerk reaction was no. And then I realized that my favorite day of the week was the week I walked across campus to teach auditing. So I decided six and a half years ago, seven years ago, at the age of 50, to take a leap of faith and start teaching full-time. And so I finally figured out what I wanted to do when I was 50. Took me a while, but I got there. So I've been in industry, I've been in public, I've been in governmental, and I've been in academia, so I've kind of done it all. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Like I said, it was a very crooked path that got me here.
2: (laughs) That's beautiful. I was curious how you transitioned from the audit department into being a professor.
0: I was talked into it, and I'm very glad that I was.
2: (laughs) was, That dean is good at recruiting. That that is good. He's relentless. (laughs) (laughs) So, you became a CPA before the 150-hour rule, obviously. What led you to make that decision? Was it sort of an automatic thing at the time? Well, it,
0: it wasn't very automatic. I mean, back in the early 80s, UT Tyler, in fact, my first semester at UT Tyler was the very first semester it was UT Tyler, and it was a little bit chaotic as they transitioned to being part of the university system, and I never even heard about the CPA exam until I did an internship at the CPA firm that hired me when I graduated. And it was pretty much a given. If you went into public accounting, you were expected to take the CPA exam. So I went back to my advisor and said, hey, I need to sign up to take this exam as soon as I graduate. And the deadline had already passed for that May. So I didn't get to take it for the first time until the November after I graduated. But I had an excellent mentor at the CPA firm where I went to work, and she was relentless as well. And many people know her, Barbara Bass. She went on to be mayor of Tyler, and she's a partner at Gala Morgan and Petty and Company now. And she's been a great mentor and a great friend to me through my whole career. But I mean, it wasn't really a question. It was, have you signed up yet? You are taking it, right? I mean, you are studying, right? I mean, she stayed on me. And so I I took the exam right after school.
2: Interesting. Okay. But
0: I will tell you this, Mark, even if I had, I mean, every job I got after that was because I was a CPA. Remember I said I was the first CPA that the holding company that owned the travel agencies had ever hired? Wouldn't have gotten that job had I not been a CPA. I was the first CPA that school district had ever hired, wouldn't have gotten the job had I not been a CPA. And I wouldn't have gotten the job to build an internal audit department had I not been a CPA. So it was definitely the smartest thing I ever did.
2: Yes. Yeah. It makes, it makes a huge difference. Really raises the ceiling on the opportunities you get. It
0: does. It does. It does. Well, you and
2: I have interacted a little bit through TSCPA, but most of that has been since you have been chair and, and just right before that. I don't know a lot about your history in TSCPA prior to that. How did you end up getting involved in the first place?
0: Well, as I mentioned, I was the Chief Audit Executive at UT Tyler, and one of the things that I was responsible for doing was reviewing our annual financial report every year, which led me to do a lot of studying on GASB. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way to keep up with all of this upcoming. GASB was being very prolific at that time, So I looked up on TSCPA's website information about the Professional Standards Committee and discovered that there was a subcommittee that was for GASB. So I volunteered to be on that subcommittee, and that was my very first committee involvement at TSCPA. And from there, I became chairman of that subcommittee after a couple of years, and after a couple of years as chairman of the subcommittee, I became chairman of the entire Professional Standards Committee, which is the largest committee TSCPA has because it has six subgroups, one for FASB, GASB, one that we created when I was chairman for PCAOB, and auditing standards and ethics. So there's a lot of subcommittees, and it's it's a great way to stay current on the field that you're in because um, you see all the exposure drafts when they come out, and TSCPA responds to each of these exposure drafts. But what I found to be so wonderful about it was being on the phone calls, the conference calls with the rest of the committee. And these were all people that worked with GASB pronouncements every day. And later, when I was chairman of the, the big committee, people who worked with FASB every day. And just to hear them discuss the various applications of the dis- exposure draft really, really helped me understand them and apply them at the university. And it it was really interesting for some reason, because I did that, whenever the audit directors would have conference calls and I would offer insights that I gained through this committee involvement, they all thought I had spent hours and hours by myself studying all this. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm relying on the intelligence of many committee members that have discussed this in depth. And it was just a great way to you know, be a leader in my field, stay current, and know what was going on. So, and then from there, I got on the ethics committee because that was another interest area of mine, and then Donna Wessling asked me to be a one-year executive board member under her year as chair, and I haven't left since. I went from being a one-year appointee to elected to a three-year term, and then elected to chair-elect, which... Basically, it's a three-year term. It's one year as chair-elect, one year as chair, and then a year as immediate past chair. So by the time I roll off in June of 18, I will have been on executive board seven years in a row. My so I'm like the volunteer that came and never left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I imagine curious. some people might be ready for me to leave by then. But <laughs> it, has, it has been such a wonderful experience. We have so many bright and brilliant minds in our profession, and when you volunteer at the state level, you get exposed to all of them.
2: Yes. I, I'm curious, the, the three-year commitment, the chair-elect, to chair, and the you know, immediate past chair, mm-hmm. that is a, a huge commitment. Is that something that you saw your, your career leading up to? You know, a while back, or I guess at what point did you realize
0: that? Well, I have to be honest, Mark, I was shocked when Donna asked me to be a one year appointee, and even more shocked when, you know, the, the nominating committee meets in September. So halfway through my one year appointee year, I was elected to a three year term, and that was a shock. And at that point, my chapter came to me and said, We would really like to nominate you for chair. And I said, well, you can try, but, you know, don't get your hopes up. And so they nominated me I think after I had been on executive board for for 2 years, and it took 3 times. They nominated me 3 times and other many other people nominated me as well. As as time went on, other people wanted to support that nomination and, you know, the third time was the charm. Even though I was shocked when Willie called me and asked me if I was ready to serve. I guess I never really thought it would happen. I mean, I was I was open to the idea, but it wasn't something that I pursued. It wasn't something that was in my long-range plan. But given the opportunity to serve, I, I wasn't going to turn it down. Yes. Wow.
2: Three times. Okay.
0: Yeah, three times. I mean, you have to understand there's 20 chapters. Yeah. and And then we have five really large chapters. And they nominate people every year. And, and we have a lot. Of, we're blessed as an organization. Some organizations have a hard time finding leaders. We have a plethora of people that are willing to serve as leaders of our organization. And we're really blessed. In fact, this last time, there were seven people interviewed for the chairman position. We're really blessed to have so many people willing to share their talents with our organization.
2: Yes. I was explaining that to someone here actually just a couple days ago when I was mentioning that I was going to be doing this interview that with most or many volunteer organizations, at least, you're fortunate if you have one person for each position. That's Yes. Yes. For the chair position with TSCPA, excuse the term, but it's a fierce competition. It is.
0: It is. And we're blessed by that. And that that means we get the be- and, and I truly believe, Mark, that any one of the people nominated would be a good chair. But sometimes it's just who's the best fit for what's going on right now or what will be going on. I mean, sometimes it's just a who's the best fit for this point in time, which otherwise, I mean, how would you explain someone being nominated three or four times and then they get it? Because maybe there was someone that was a better fit the previous two years, but for what's going on. Right now, I mean, you know, it, it. I mean, we're just really lucky in that we have so many good leaders to choose from.
2: Yes, you're right. They're all very impressive.
0: What, what do you enjoy the most about
2: oh. your CPA involvement? You've done a lot.
0: Yeah, what I enjoy the most, honestly, is working with other CPAs because while we're all different and we all have different frames of reference, we all have pretty similar core values and i mean i've been i've been on boards of other organizations and that aren't as well organized and established as TSCPA and sometimes it's a struggle just getting everybody on the same page with TSCPA our committees the bulk of the work of TSCPA is done at the committee level and they work so well together and these are committees made up of CPAs from all over the state all walks of life but yet when they get together to discuss a topic like our Federal Tax Policy Committee, they have done amazing work in the last year or two. On some, and I have a feeling they're going to be even busier <laughs> <laughs> this coming year with all the proposed tax reform. But, they I mean, these are people who are tax attorneys, partners in tax firms. Yet when they get together to discuss issues on behalf of TSCPA, all the egos are left at the door. We don't have an issue with too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Everybody works together to do what's best for the profession and for our members. I never worry about when I go into a meeting if we're going to have any issues because the majority of the people there are there for the right reasons, and that's that's a great thing, not something that you see in every organization. That
2: is. That is. It would be easy for people's egos to get in the way. Yeah, you know, I think that's a testament to CPAs in general. I, I, I do, too. I do, too. Overall, humble is, is a good term.
0: They are. They're, they're generally humble, and they're very giving. I mean, if you look at what a lot of our members do, so much good work in their communities that has nothing to do with their practice or their position in industry. They're just givers. And they are, they do a lot of volunteer work for a lot of good organizations and are often looked at to be leaders. I mean, I have a feeling that if we took a straw poll and asked how many of our members have they ever been asked to serve as treasurer of some nonprofit, the majority of them would have been.
2: Yes. Yes. I, actually, I'm sure they've been asked three or four times to be Oh, treasurer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, at least with my experience, being president of a chapter, you get a
0: large chapter. Well, (laughs) thank you.
2: (laughs) We are blessed to have wonderful staff in San Antonio. Yes, you do. Yes, Jackie and her team are really amazing. I know you get halfway through your term and you're pleased with how things are, or hopefully you're pleased with how things are going, but you start to realize how much more you'd like to do, you know, because it goes by fast.
0: Yes, it does go fast, but that's why it's basically a three-year term. You spend the whole first year getting ready and then executing the second year and then follow up the third year. Jim Oliver, who is the chairman right behind me, was kind enough to ask me to remain as the staff liaison for the Relations with Education Committee because of the initiatives we've started with student programs and campus reps, and he wants to see that continue Normally, the past chair has committee assignments predetermined, but he realized that we need to keep this work going, so I'll be continuing doing what I'm doing in that area for the third year of my term. And then hopefully by then, it'll be well enough established that it'll be ongoing. Okay. But I don't see myself ever not being involved with the committees, the Relations with Educational Institutions Committee. I just think it's too important for us to build that bridge between college and the profession.
2: Yes, yes. You may have just answered my question, but I was curious sort of what your wishes are for, for TSCPA, you know, over the next several years, or, or another way to ask this, if the chair position was a two-year term, you know, is there anything that else that you haven't been able to get to that, that you would want to tackle?
0: Gosh, Mark, I'm not sure I could handle anything else <laughs> we I mean we've got a ta- we're overhauling our bylaws. There's a task force for that. We're overhauling c p e We've been working on a task force for that. We're about to create another task force. I mean we are you know we have a new c e o coming on board january one, so that was a large endeavor to find the best person for that position. It's just been a very eventful year. Oh, and there's a legislative session that starts next month. So there's a lot going on this year, and, you know, some years are like that. I mean, we haven't had a new CEO in 18 years. I don't look for that to happen again anytime soon. We don't overhaul the the bylaws every year, so I don't look for that to happen anytime soon. And CPE has been an ongoing struggle for a while, and we're just taking a good, hard look at that to see what we can do. So there's been a lot going on. Like I said, the bulk of the work's done at the committee level.
2: Yeah, we we are fortunate to have some, some really dedicated committee chairs.
0: Well, you know, the last day of the CEO search, when we finally had decided on Jody Ann to take John's place, I was sitting there looking around the room at who was on the committee. And, you know, I knew how many hours I had put in on the CEO search. But my hours aren't billable hours. And I'm looking around the room, mm-hmm. and there there are, you know, several partners in CPA firms. In fact, I mean, all of them were, except me. And I'm thinking, there has to be almost 1,000 billable hours that have been donated to this project. And that when you think about that, that is a huge contribution. Huge. Wow. That's so, a- yeah, it was, I mean, because we actually... We had four meetings, and then we had telephone conferences, and then there were all the materials that we had to read in between. We had two rounds of interviews that took all day long, and then there's travel time. So really and truly, they contributed and their firms contributed a lot to TSCPA for the CEO search
2: so that's, that's a real testament to how important they feel that process Well,
0: we did. We felt like it was probably the most important thing we would do in our service to TSCPA. You know, it's one of those things you don't want to make a mistake. You want yeah. to get the right person. And I think we did.
2: Yes, actually, I had the opportunity to meet her recently.
0: Uh, I know. She told me she enjoyed her trip to San Antonio.
2: <laughs> she was here for our Blue Santa function. Which, That's uh, awesome. Your records. It was nice.
0: Which proves my point about the giving nature of CPAs. Your Blue Santa project is so neat. We've got a great committee. What can I say? I know. I know. <laughs> well, I guess I, on a on a related,
2: but slightly different topic, you know, there's a lot of talk about the shortage of CPAs. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's, there's many reasons for that. But this is a pretty general question. But what, what are your thoughts on, on the future of the professions, the future of the CPA professions?
0: Well, there will be change. <laughs> I can promise okay. you that. In fact, at an expedited rate, technology is driving everything. Our organization and the profession are going to have to work to stay relevant and to stay current. As far as the shortage of CPAs, We've all heard the mantra, you know, that baby boomers are retiring. But I'm here to tell you the pipeline, the number of students that are majoring in accounting has grown. And there are plenty of students that are graduating CPA exam ready, but they are just not taking, for whatever reason, that final step. 42% of students who graduate CPA exam ready never take the exam. We need to improve that as a profession and as an organization if we want to have adequate workforce. And we're already seeing where CPA firms are hiring non-CPAs to do work. The problem with that is, and you know, when your students can get a job without their CPA, they're like, great, wonderful. I'm just going to go work for a little while. What happens is life, life gets in the way They keep procrastinating and putting off taking the exam, and next thing you know, they've reached their limit as far as they can go, whether it's industry, whether it's public accounting, whatever it is, because not becoming a CPA is a career-limiting decision. Everything will be fine short-term because of demand. We need accountants. We need minds. But when it comes time to get that promotion or to transfer to a job, another job. If you're up against somebody who is a CPA, you're going to get passed over if all, everything else is equal. So we are really, really working hard to encourage students to take the exam as soon as they are ready, as soon as they are eligible to not put it off. I think, and I've, I've tried to make AICPA understand this, and you know, I think some of them do, but We've made it so easy to take the exam now that there are multiple windows. You schedule the time you want to go. You pick the part you want to take. You don't have to take all four parts at one time like we did. But you know what that does? It makes it easier to procrastinate. You know, when you know you can take it next month or the next month. We had a choice of taking it now or waiting six months. There were only two times a year available to us. So you didn't procrastinate. You couldn't afford to procrastinate or you'd lose a year. So, you know, in some ways, while we've made it, while technology has made it easier for them to not have to travel to take the exam, just go to a testing center, pick their day, pick their time, pick their section of the exam, it also makes it really easy to put off. So we have got to really, and, and studies have shown that the single most strongest factor in in someone taking that exam is someone encouraging them to do so. So we need to go back to the days where if they go to work in public accounting, they are assigned a mentor and that mentor sees to it that they take the exam. If they go into industry and they work for a CPA, we need those CPAs to encourage them too to take the exam because we're such a mobile workforce these days. There are a lot of people that go from industry to public and back and forth. So just because you're going into industry doesn't mean you don't need your CPA exam. It is a credential that says, hey, I was smart enough to pass this test. I can learn anything. And employers see that as that. So I really think in order to you know make sure that our profession has the replacements that it needs, we need to encourage young people to, to complete that exam. Yeah, I think that's one of the cruel truths about... Or career truths
2: about the certification is that by the time it starts to have an effect on your career, not having the certification, it's exponentially more difficult.
0: Oh my gosh, it is! And what we see now are people coming back to school after they've been out of school four or five years to get those last few classes to have the thirty hours of accounting so they can sit for the exam because they realize that they should have finished when they could. See, all of our Masters of Accounting classes at UT Tyler are at night, and a lot of programs do that so that they can work during the day and go to school at night, but that's not easy. That is not easy to do and take graduate-level accounting courses. So, you know, I hear students say all the time, in fact, we had graduation last Saturday, I just want to work for a little while. I'll come back to school and get my Master's after I've worked a little while, and I said, you know, I know you're tired, but it's not going to get easier. In fact, it's going to get harder to come back to school. Life happens, and that you really need to stay the course until you've reached the end. It'll <laughs> never be easier than it is right after you graduate. Mark, you and I both know a lot of that stuff on the exam. That was the last time we ever saw it. Because <laughs> what ha- It is true, because what happens is you get into a career path, that you know is more of a specialty, and that knowledge for the CPA exam is broad-based knowledge. And in five years, do you know how much of it would change? I mean, you'd have to learn all new stuff, especially for tax. So it's better to take it as soon as you are eligible.
2: Yes. You know, as, as long as we're on that topic, I guess. I, I focused a whole lot on your, your TSCPA work, and, and obviously you have a day job as well. Obviously I have a day job. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that any other advice or, or misconceptions you'd want to highlight for the, the student listenership or the, or the recent graduate listenership? Because I know through social media, we've got a mix of people that listen to it, but we definitely have a contingent of you know, people in that junior, senior level in college. Anything else, any other advice you want to pass
0: on? Well, I'll just give you a two- or three-sentence synopsis of the speech I make every semester to my auditing class on the last class of the semester. First is, like I said, the exam will not ever get easier or be easier than it is right now to you. And secondly, don't procrastinate. I know you do, and you always manage to get things done at the last minute, but this is something that you really shouldn't procrastinate because, You will lose some knowledge. And thirdly, I have never heard any CPA say, you know, I wish I hadn't gotten my CPA certificate. I've never heard that. I've never heard anyone regret getting that exam. Even if they don't use it, even if they are in a management position, not necessarily a CFO position, because a lot of accountants move into management they realize the value of that certificate. If you can understand financial statements and if you can understand accounting, even as a manager, that gives you a leg up over other managers. So it's something you'll never regret and you'll be glad you did it. And then I'll always wrap up by saying, if every CPA you meet tells you they passed that exam on the first time, well, their memories are probably not what they used to be because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not everybody passes it the first time they take it i didn't i took it when you had to pass two parts to get credit and i made a 69 on one part and a 74 or 75 on the other and got nothing got nothing actually it was a 76 cuz i thought maybe they would take a point off a of one and put it on the other so i had to start over the next time so but you just have to be determined you know you just have to be determined to get it done. And it will be something you never regret and something that you'll always be proud of. Very perseverance. True. You know, that CPA exam really isn't about how smart you are, it's how stubborn you are, <laughs> how you refuse <laughs> to give up. <laughs> I prefer to call it perseverance. My parents called it stubbornness, but you know,
2: <laughs>
0: same horse though. of a different color. <laughs> Well, well, we're definitely not quite wrapping up yet,
2: but I, I do want to get to the, the final four questions that I ask. Okay. The podcast guest, some personal, some you know, career related. But first of all, what's been your proudest moment?
0: Oh gosh, there have, there have been so many moments that have been so wonderful. I think my proudest moment. It's when, it's pretty recent. One of the things you get to do as chairman of TSCPA is speak at the swearing-in ceremonies in Austin. And I think you go to the, did you go to one? Have you been to one? Yeah, I haven't been able to make it yet. Oh, Mark, you need to. It is awe-inspiring. But I sit up, I have the best seat in the house. I sit up there on that stage right in front of where the board members are handing The new CPAs, their certificate. And it's just the sheer joy and relief on their face is so wonderful. But I think what makes me so proud is when one of my students comes across that stage and gets their certificate. Because, you know, it took a village of accounting professors to get them there. And it took a lot of perseverance on their part and a lot of studying. But I'm just so proud for them because I know it wasn't easy, and they stuck with it, and they, they made it. And at this last ceremony, one of my former students had emailed Bill Tracy and asked if I could hand her her certificate. Oh. And it was, it was such a wonderful moment to feel like that in some small way, I have helped some students become CPAs. And I had five at the last ceremony that got their certificate. And it was it was just a great moment. And one of my fellow professors, I had told her about how fun it was to see three of them in June get their certificate. And she wanted to come, so I brought her with me. And she was sitting on the front row. And it was just wonderful for both of us to see students make it. Finally get all the way through and get that certificate in their hand. And they're so proud. And their families are so proud. And it just makes you feel makes you feel like what you do is worthwhile. And isn't that what we all want? We want to feel like what we do is worthwhile.
2: Yes, yes. People outside the profession don't understand or may not understand the, the level of impact having that certificate has really on your whole life. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. True. Like
0: I said, no one's ever regretted getting their CPA certificate. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned. I'm from sure I don't course. think your podcast is long enough. <laughs> for the mistakes I've made. Well, the more colossal, the better. But
2: yes, we, we oh, like gosh. to limit it to, you know, less than an hour. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I could tell you about some mistakes that would really make me look stupid, but that probably wouldn't be very wise on my part. <laughs> I can tell you that I have made mistakes and lots of them. I've made mistakes as chairman. Fortunately, none of them have been earth-shattering. I have gone to chapters. See, this is the deal about visiting the chapters. When you go to a chapter, everybody knows who you are. You don't know who anybody is except maybe the president because they were at president training or president-elect training or the big board members because they were at annual meeting, but there are 250 of them. I have called people by the wrong names. (laughs) (laughs) and they were kind enough not to act mad about it, but I felt really bad because I try really hard. I'm just terrible with names. I am, and every semester I have 200 of them (sighs) to learn, and by the end of the semester, I know about three-fourths of them, and then they're gone. So I've made mistakes with people's names, and I've made mistakes introducing people and giving the wrong name, and so now I never, ever go to a podium to introduce anybody or to thank anybody that I don't have their names written down in front of me. So I do learn from my mistakes. I've made mistakes, oh gosh, as <laughs> as internal auditor, you only are as good as the information you are given and, and you learn really quick that not all information given to you is valid. So that was a professional lesson that I learned that was somewhat painful but fortunately the focus was shifted from me getting it wrong to why did they tell you that in the first place so i was thankful for that but I, I realized that that professional skepticism that we're supposed to have even if it's people you work with you should keep your professional skepticism that was probably the biggest career blunder i ever made so like i said mark there've been many but hopefully hopefully i have learned from every one of them But, you know, God keeps trying to teach me lessons, so I guess I'm not through learning yet.
2: (laughs) You have many more opportunities. Oh, gosh,
0: daily, (laughs) daily. I mean, I taught in a classroom a year and a half ago that someone in their infinite wisdom decided there needed to be a six inch platform at the front. It was a lecture hall, you know, that you come in and you go down, and there was a six inch wooden platform at the bottom. Well, the lecture hall and the College of Business did not have a platform. Okay, so needless to say, I kept forgetting the platform was there. Mm. I fell off of it three times in one semester. After the second time, I went to HR and I said, uh, because it was a wooden platform and the concrete floor it was on was painted brown. So you could not tell. There was no, those lecture halls are so dim anyway. But, you know, you would think after I fell off of it the first time, I would remember. After the second time when I fell off of it, I went down to HR and I said, I think y'all probably ought to put some reflective tape or something there because when I'm talking to students, and I'm sure I couldn't be the only one, I'm not looking where the step down is. Well, they didn't. And so the third time I got close to the edge, my entire class said, watch out. (laughs) And I realized they were so worried about me falling off the stage. They weren't paying attention to what I was teaching them. So I had to curtail my wanderings in that classroom for the rest of the semester. So they wouldn't be so worried about me falling. But it is what it is. I never said I was graceful.
2: <laughs> it's hindering their learning. That's too funny.
0: I, I mean, really, because they were, they were watching my feet for me. Bless their hearts. <laughs> and that, I don't know if you remember or not, but it was it was that semester before, when I had to give my acceptance speech at the mid-year, which was, I guess, two years ago, a year before last, and literally had to be helped up to the stage, because I had tore up my knee by falling off that stage, and the week after mid-year, I had surgery on my knee. Oh, my God. So, some lessons are more painful than others. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you
2: you mentioned Barbara Bass already, so you may have already answered this, but is there any other... Yeah, I usually ask about the biggest mentor. Is there any other mentor that, that you. Oh
0: had? gosh, I've had several mentors in TSCPA that encouraged me to take leadership positions. Fred Timmons was instrumental in me deciding to accept a nomination for chairman. Jeff Gregg has been a really big cheerleader and mentor for me. And both of them have been consultants to me the last couple of years as I've gone through this because they've been through it. And I was able to call them and ask them, you know, what's your take on this? How did you handle this? So even within our profession, to other leaders in the profession, there are mentors, but Jeff and Fred have been just wonderful to me.
2: Okay. I don't know Jeff as well, but Fred.
0: Oh yeah. Fred's in your chapter. Oh yeah. Fred has been a mentor to countless people. And Jeff too, you know, they're just, they say the definition of a great leader is that they make other good leaders. And if that's true, then Jeff and Fred are definitely great leaders because they, it's not just me. They've encouraged dozens of people in TSCPA to take leadership roles and really have gone a long way And people like them and other chapters to sustaining our organization. Well, Last question,
2: what's the best advice you've ever received? Or if not that, what's one piece of advice you'd like to leave the listeners with?
0: Well, there are two pieces of advice that I think of daily. Given to me, one was by my mother and one was by my father. And my mother is no longer with us, but I hear her voice in my head every day telling me, Catherine, you can get more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. (laughs) So I remember that every time I'm tempted to tell an American Airlines employee exactly what I think because they have frustrated me. That's been the hardest part of my year as chair is flying because it is not for the faint of heart. And I'm convinced that right hand doesn't know what left hand is doing half the time. But then you remember, I hear my mother And I try to remember that it's probably not easy for them either, that they don't like working without all the information either. So I try to be patient, but it's hard. (laughs) The other great piece of advice that I am still working on and probably will be for the rest of my life is from my dad. And it's it's hard to listen when your lips are moving. (laughs) So I try really hard to listen to people. And hear what they're saying and let them know that I'm hearing them, whether it's a student or whether it's a CPA member with an issue or whether it's, it's the executive board or whoever, whatever group I'm with, you know, people feel valued when they know you are listening to them. So I try to remember to listen more than I talk.
2: Your parents were obviously very wise and practical. People.
0: Oh, they are. My dad, oh my gosh, she's one of these people that has a saying for everything. And my mother was a math teacher for 32 years. So Lord knows she developed, in middle school no less, she developed patience the hard way. So she was always trying to help me develop patience. But yeah, my my dad's a colorful character and he's got lots of words of wisdom for us that he still shares on a regular basis. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you very much.
0: Oh, well, Last thank question. you, Mark.
2: Oh, of course. Last question and hopefully the easiest. If someone wants to follow up with you and find out more about TSCPA or, or about your career journey, what's the best way to reach you?
0: Well, my contact information is listed on the TSCPA website, but they can always email me at kkapka at And I do respond to all emails.
2: Wonderful. Capka at uttyler.edu. Yes, sir. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. You've given me. Well, thank you, Mark. You're welcome. You've given me many ideas for, for other topics. And, uh, you know, sitting here thinking about it, maybe after your year as chair is up and, and hopefully things slow down a little bit, or maybe after the immediate, we can have you on the show again and, and just sort of follow up on some of these
0: topics. Oh, I'd love to.
2: Always willing. Well, I hope to see you at the event soon, Kathy, and there again. I I hope so,
0: too. I'm sure I'll see you at mid-year in January. That's right. I'll see you in about a month. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it.
1: Well, that was my conversation with Kathy Kapka, the current chair for TSCPA. I really appreciated Kathy's openness. She shared a lot of advice that really can apply to those later in their career, those in the middle of their career, or even students just starting to think about accounting as a career. There's takeaways for everybody. In addition, she had some advice from her parents as well, which I found very practical, obviously, as well. Thank you for sharing your time with us and joining us for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you haven't yet visited the website at www.whereaccountantsgo.com, You can find links to all our previous episodes there, as well as a whole bunch of detail in the show notes for each episode. We include links to all the organizations that the various guests mentioned there. So if you're looking for more information on anything you heard in the podcast, www.whereaccountsgo.com is a great resource. Until next time, I hope to have you again here as a guest on Life in Accounting, the Where Accounts Go podcast. There's more to come.